You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is George Prontén, the CEO and founder at Membrane. Selling should be noble. Selling is really about helping and, and not just pushing your stuff so you can make a commission check. So welcome back to the show uh, and uh, really glad that you decided to tune in to this episode and we're going to talk a lot about sales today. So I guess you're happy then. Always excited to talk about sales. Like, you know, everybody should love sales. It is the, the oldest profession in the world. So yes, I'm very excited. And in the beginning of a journey for, for a sales company or I guess any company, everyone needs to sell. The founder is selling and today we're going to talk about how you can transition from a founder-based sales motion to a sales machine so uh, we will talk to a person that have gone through this process himself um, building two companies made some mistakes and um, dedicated himself in helping other companies do this so uh, join us Today, we are very happy to have George Brontén, the CEO and founder at Membrane, here as a guest on the show. So welcome, George. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Hey, it's great to have you here, George. And you are what I call a man of the people. And I say that because you've been supporting the community, the SAS Nordic community from the get-go. And here's a big shout out for you and a little bit of a plug. At SAS Nordic, we actually use Membrane. You see how I did that? Beautiful. Beautiful. And we're so happy <laughs> that you do. <laughs> no. It, not everybody has found us yet, so it's great that you guys like it. Yes, we, we do. We Actually, we love it. Uh, I'm going to be so courageous and say that here out loud. We love everybody, but this is a great tool for us. Yeah. Now, tell us a little bit, if there's anybody here on the call, like you said, maybe not everybody has found you in Membrane. Like, who is George and what is Membrane all about? Yeah, so uh, I, um, I'm George. I'm 48 years old uh, this year. Uh, married, uh, have two kids. We live in uh, Nacka outside of Stockholm. I have had, uh, I guess, one proper job as an employee and uh, started my first business when I was about 21, I think. Um, and since then, I have uh, run, I, I would say, two companies that are real companies with, with employees <laughs> before. The, before <laughs> okay. I was doing a, a bunch of other things before that, but that wasn't very successful. But my first company was Upstream, and uh, the idea that I've always had is to challenge the mainstream. And I guess many founders can, <laughs> can recognize themselves in that. We want to find a problem and, and uh, solve it, right? And, uh, no, and I, I like to do it in a challenging way All right. with software. Okay. And what about Membrane? Yeah. So Membrane came out of my... I would say mistakes and failures okay. <laughs> in uh, in building upstream because when uh, upstream came uh, as uh, an idea to provide value-added resellers, so in the IT space with uh, different solutions that they could provide their customers, what we did back in 2006, so it was a while back now was to help these VARs to become managed service providers. So we, we brought on a new type of technology that allowed them to manage a lot more clients more proactively. And uh, when I 
wanted to, so I sold this to these customers quite successfully myself. I brought in my younger brother. We were successful. And then I wanted to scale it up. And this is when, <laughs> when I bumped into a lot of uh, problems because I hired and I fired a lot of salespeople. Hmm. I just couldn't get the salespeople to be successful. And, uh, you know, I, I started off being really angry with the recruitment companies and you know, blaming others, uh, basically, until I had to just sit down and, and think, like, what, what's going wrong here? What, what's the real problem? And everything, of course, was pointing <laughs> to me. I, I was <laughs> the problem, of course, because I hadn't really understood the complexity of the product we sold. So I thought this was just another product, but actually it was very complex. Okay. Because the, the buyers now, the IT companies, had to basically change a lot of internal processes, how they packaged, how they sold, how they delivered services. And uh, I didn't realize that at the point. But when realizing this, I, I understood that it's not really about selling the product. It, it's really about selling a transformation for this company. Uh, so I, I started then uh, thinking about my, my mistakes and seeing what, what have I done sort of uh, wrong here? What, what went wrong? And, and I realized that I made a lot of assumptions. Like I was assuming, basically, that I could hire a salesperson with a good CV and they would just, you know, succeed <laughs> magically because they've sold something for someone else. But when I started to realize the, uh, the difficulty for the buyer, that is, because selling is really just about helping someone make a decision and by hopefully in engaging you and your involving your products in their decision. But there were so many people that needed to be involved that I didn't really understand. You know, it wasn't just about selling this to the CEO or... Uh, their VP sales, but every, everybody needed to understand the value. And, and what we did was, uh, it was a very technical product, product, it was automation. And the tech people, you know, they got really scared. Like, oh my God, if my boss buys this platform, I'm going to be out of a job. Okay. So, so the, the outcome of all my sort of thinking around this was that I was involving the technical people, but my salespeople were not. Okay. Uh, partly because, of course, I hadn't trained them to do that well, uh, but also because they didn't feel comfortable uh, talking to the tech people. They thought they were weird people uh, talking another language. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they skipped it. And what happened was they didn't win any deals. So basically, that all led to me thinking, okay, how could I, in a, in a smart way, make sure that my salespeople are doing the right things at the right time with the right people, which led to the, sorry, this is what became a very long yeah. story here. This is a long backstory yeah. about uh, how you started <laughs> membrane, right? Yeah, yeah, I think it might be relevant for, for listeners to see because it, it's really, I see it happening all the time, right? We, we assume salespeople are born, but, but they're really not. I mean, it's a profession you have to learn and, and be good at. But my sort of uh, solution to this was I need to have a system, because I'm a systems guy, I'm a software guy, uh, that guides salespeople in what to do. Hmm. And that was the, uh, the birth of Membrane, because CRM systems, I found, was you know, also built on that very same assumption that salespeople ought to know what to do with whom and should just log what they've done. Yeah. And if they haven't done enough, 
the boss will you know hit them on the head yeah so a lot, a lot of the best solutions and, and companies come from that you experience you know the pain yourself and uh, what problem you need to solve right yeah no i think that's i mean how entrepreneurs are wired right we see a problem and we exactly we want to fix it but instead of mo modifying an existing CRM, you thought, no, I'm going to buy my own product. I'm going to build my own product. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I, actually, I did try. I did try to customize the CRM that we had at the point. I went to several CRMs and said, hey, I have this idea of creating a sales process that is visual, uh, that is a bit fun to work in, and that also embeds training and learning inside of the tool. And then holistically then uh, provides me the data I need to know who I, sh who I should coach about what and when. Okay. And basically everybody came back, yeah, sure, we can do all that. <laughs> but being in software and, and knowing how much it would take, I realized that it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to cost a lot of money. And once they have a major update, it's all going to break. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and of course, I saw an opportunity in this. I thought everyone who's involved in complex sales, longer sales cycle, multiple stakeholders will have the same problem. So let's uh, let's go after this opportunity. And if we fast forward this a little bit until today, what has Membrane become and what companies have the most use for your product? We still solve the same problem and that is making how you sell into a competitive advantage. Okay. Because we believe that you know, everybody's selling similar products and services, uh, and it's becoming even more important how you provide that customer experience, how your salespeople engage, how you as a, as a company engage. So what we've done is we started off mainly on the opportunity management side. So guiding salespeople through once an opportunity has been identified, how do we win this opportunity? How do we increase win rates, deal sizes, lower sales uh, cycles? Okay. But what we did after that was to see, okay, you know, that's fantastic, but opportunities don't, you know, show up out of thin air. You have to generate opportunities. So we added a module for prospecting, which I, I think Outreach and Salesloft defined that category as um, prospect engagement. <laughs> okay, yeah. Basically uh, managing that process, which is very different, right? And I think this is another problem with classic CRM tools that they don't really have a way to differentiate the different workflows a seller is in. So prospecting is very different from, from opportunity management. Opportunity management is different from account planning and customer success. So we've built separate modules for all these different workflows. Okay. So we have prospecting, we have opportunity pipeline management, and the latest addition is the account growth module, as we call it which can be used for account planning, of course, but also for customer success and partner growth planning. Okay. But uh, could you put Membrane a little bit in perspective here uh, when it comes to the, the size, um, the what kind of ARR are you at? Or also what, what can you tell us about the company so, so we know, you know, size of the operation? Yeah. So we are 29 on staff today. Okay. We have about 250-ish customers all over the globe, mainly North America and Sweden, though. The rest is sort of scattered. Uh, and uh, we have uh, around 100 partners. Okay. Uh, so the go-to-market strategy we have is via partners, 
and those are primarily. And with partners, you're not talking so much about solution like um, partners that are doing implement. I guess you have that as well, that does integration. So, but you work a lot with sales consultants or coaches or what do you call them? Yes. Yeah, so the mission we are on is to elevate the sales profession. We, we do believe that selling has a very bad reputation. Uh, and we need to fix that. That's only from people that have never sold anything in their life. Agreed. <laughs> Which shouldn't be, should be nobody, right? Everybody's selling every, uh, <laughs> every day, <laughs> in, a, in a way, with their family and uh, colleagues. But uh, yeah, so we, we uh, see that the problem of sales execution and having a sales strategy and, and making sure that we do things the right way can't be solved by just technology. We have to upskill people. We have to train salespeople. We have to train sales managers, which is maybe even more important, I, I would say, to get the, a good leverage of your investment. And we need to train leadership in what selling actually is and should be, because it's very, very, I would say, if to be you know generalistic, it's it's poorly managed in many companies. Okay. And what markets are you active on? So we are primarily North America, US, Canada, and Sweden has been our main sort of proactive markets. And and why why America? How did you end up there from from start? Or? Well, the US is huge, right? Everybody wants to go to the US and succeed in the US. And uh, we took this partner strategy early on. And as you stated, it's not about finding systems integrators because we have a no-code, low-code platform. So it's really about getting the sales trainers or sales development experts who train salespeople and help design a sales strategy to put this in the hands of their clients. So what's the secret here? I mean, you're a Swedish software company. Of course, you are, you know, good salespeople and so on. But how did you get these uh, US sales trainers to start using Membrane? Uh, well, it's, it's pretty easy in a sense, because we are not selling them a tool, right? Nobody, no sales trainer that we've met want to sell, wants to sell technology. <laughs> they are selling training, they're selling uh, strategy, they're coaching. Yeah. So, so what we can bring to them is stickiness and successful clients. Because their main problem is that they train people and then everybody just forgets what they were trained. <laughs> okay. Right. We all know that we, we go to a training course and it's easy just to rub a band back to old behavior. So for, for us or what we do is we, we introduce membrane as a way for them to make sure that the training actually sticks. Okay. But how did you find them? I'm still curious. Did, did you like Google people and started cold calling them or? Yeah. I mean, it's LinkedIn is a fantastic tool. <laughs> uh, sales trainers, sales development experts are definitely on LinkedIn to find their customers. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we did a list just, you know, who are the best uh, people out there? Who do we want to uh, go after? And, and uh, we, we just prospected them like you would any customer, basically. Another thing is, um, how is it? Are you still bootstrapped or have you raised money so far? Yeah, so in, in Upstream, I, <clears throat> I took on a, a lot of different vendors. And uh, one thing that struck me was every time they got VC money, things got really messed up. <laughs> uh, the company, they took strange uh, decisions. You know, the founders uh, fled the company after a year or so. And uh, 
I just saw a lot of com- good companies go really bad. Uh, after, so I had a, a pretty poor uh, perception about VC when I started Membrane. And also, I guess from my perspective, my goal is to build a profitable Swedish company with a global brand. Okay. Uh, that is my ambition. It doesn't have to become, you know, a Salesforce size company f- for me to be happy or for, for, for the company to be happy. How big does it need to be for you to be really happy? It needs to be very a very well-respected brand. Okay. Uh, and I, I am a, maybe an old-school entrepreneur, but I do think profitability is key. Okay. So we want to be profitable. And, and, and to your question, we have not raised VC money, uh, but we have a few angels. Okay. Uh, friends and family who... who came in uh, quite early and helped us a bit awesome and you're almost there with uh, at least your your tagline you have a, you have a strong and powerful tagline do you want to uh, now people can't see this because we're just recording the audio here but you want to tell them what your tagline is yeah th- we actually launched this tagline uh, at the event your event right uh, last year so it's your crm sucks okay but we have membranes so <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah it doesn't work for... <laughs> i shouldn't show this to you guys but uh, it's a good uh, conversation starter yeah there is like, I'm not a brand expert, but there's a couple of things you need to do in brand. I, I, either you need to, the number one rule is it needs to stir up some emotions. And certainly that statement does that. Mm-hmm. Hey, awesome, George. It's, it's good to, to know a little bit the background story here, some of the numbers. What we're going to talk about the rest of the episode here is a little bit about that sales motion and particularly how you go from a founder-led sales function to actually establishing and moving into, if I may call it, a, a proper sales function where there's multiple people contributing to that and, and not just the founder, so to say. Uh, and we see a lot of our members, they're going through this journey, especially if you're starting from the beginning, so to say. What I wanted to ask you from the get-go is when is the time to make this switch? Like when is a normal transition to go from founder-led to non-founderless sales? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think it depends a lot on, we talk about product market fit in, in this space uh, quite a bit. So you need to you need to be able to reproduce your success. I mean, if you can go to one client and then the next and you feel that you're, you're being successful, you don't have to reinvent the wheel uh, in every customer meeting. Uh, and, and then you you could actually codify that. You could train that and then you can scale it. So I guess you want to do it as soon as possible if your aim is to scale the company. Uh, but you need to be very, um, you need to start thinking about what the buyer has to do to get to their decision, right? So, because as I said earlier, I think selling is really just about helping someone make a decision. Uh, and that decision should involve you, hopefully. <laughs> right. But I think that having that uh, percept or that that angle when you sell that I'm actually helping someone to make a decision to improve something in their business makes you uh, much more curious about their business so that you can actually align with what they're trying to do or back off and say, hey, we're not right for you instead of just pushing product, which is a mistake I see a lot of, peop- a lot of people doing. They think selling is about pitching a product. Right. Right. Uh, Indirectly, yes, but but really that shouldn't be the aim. Right. But yeah, as soon as possible, as soon as you can reproduce what you are doing, uh, and maybe that is what you would call product market fit, uh, that's when you, you need to start recruiting. And, and I guess that 
it's a, a, also another question now who do you recruit yeah exactly <laughs> like what, what are you looking for in that first person that will join your team like what, what's the criteria yeah and i think this was uh, really one of the big mistakes in my long uh, intro story of upstream i told you how i i hired really on paper solid salespeople but i didn't understand the sales environment i was in or rather the perceived risk of the buyer because that's what mainly sets the complexity of the deal right if if you're selling something that interrupts their sort of status quo which usually when you sell a product that is a bit complex it does it will do you you need to have the understanding of okay we will need to engage with more than one person right for instance i mean that's that's uh, as soon as you start engaging more people complexity skyrockets right so then you need to find a person who's been involved in that type of selling previously like the complexity of the sale is more important than you know how much money they earned because if they're in a if they were in a transactional sale uh, they will struggle right to manage a complex sale let me ask you this then. Just the other day, I, I spoke to another uh, sales leader and, and we, we touched upon the same topic here where she felt that the most common mistake going from founder-led to uh, a repetitive process, if you may, with multiple people producing is that founders expect that first hire or the first hires to actually come in and build the playbook and the rule sets and so on. And that's where things go wrong. So what, what's your take on this? Like, you know, should you have the playbook and all of these things ready and they come in and just deliver upon that scheme you have in place or are they there to build it and refine it? Yeah, I think that's the, uh, that's a very common mistake. And that goes back to that assumption that you, you, you believe or you assume, you think that they ought to know what to do and just do it. Right. And then they can, they can, they can codify it, but you should codify Right. I mean, that's what I had to, to do, right? The, the main mistake I found my sellers doing was this, um, in the example I, I talked about with the technicians, you know, they didn't speak to the technicians in their language. So they sabotaged all the deals. And when we rectified that by entering that into the process where you should talk to these people, how you should talk to them. I had a pizza on, and Thursday story I, I taught my salespeople um, because everybody had to work overtime. This was, you know, a while back, <laughs> but they, they had to work overtime to install Windows patches, you know, once a month. Right. And that's not so funny. That, that's not work that technicians, you know, really look forward to. So that when you could explain to them that this is going to be removed so you can go do fun stuff, oh, they were all, now they were f fired up. Like, oh, this is really cool. I should sponsor this project. And we tripled win rates by just fixing that particular problem, right? So you have to ask the founder, but that said, you should engage them, right? Because nobody likes to be told what to do. Uh, so if you can engage your salespeople and sales leaders in that playbook design, that's even better, right? Because they co-create it and, and they will feel much more motivated than if you just push it down and say, hey, you should do this. Right. So what are the top three criteria that you would say every good or great salesperson needs to have? <laughs> that's a really broad, broad question. Just three criteria. Yeah, no, I mean, you have to be knowledgeable. Uh, and I think you really have to be trustworthy. 
uh, and you you cannot have a, a, a clear self interest uh, because if, if you know if someone feels that you're there, just there to sell, they're not going to buy from you. Um, but I mean, there's it's hard. I, I haven't thought about this question beforehand. But but also, of course, you have to be curious. I think that is key in selling. You really need to be super curious about your customer and how you could help. Agreed. So you mentioned that uh, you need to have product market fit. You mentioned that you as a founder need to create this playbook. But then how do you make the transition in moving yourself a little bit out of the picture and having this scalable organization take over the sales? What, what does that look like? I mean, it comes down to a good manager. You have to have a really good sales manager. Yeah. Uh, and maybe that's not where you start. In the beginning, you are the sales manager. But you have to be very close to, to your salespeople to really, uh, again, curiosity. You need to be curious about how, how are they doing? What are they seeing? What are they hearing? What are they struggling with? And coach them. Coach them to success. And change the playbook. I mean, a playbook is not something you create and then it's done. It's always changing, right? Because new competitors pop up, uh, things happen, use, release new products. So you have to always be you know, very agile in how you create the playbook and, um, and have a manager that, that wants to, or, and understands that selling, so sales success as an organiza organization is getting the people to perform, not performing for your people, because that's another big mistake we see. Uh, companies uh, take their best salesperson and promote him or her to a sales manager yeah. without giving them all the right tools and, and, and coaching and training to do a good job in that role. So instead, that person sometimes just steps in. <laughs> oh, I can help you close this deal. Uh, and they do the job for their people instead of, like you said, making sure that they, they, can, uh, they can fish themselves. Three ways to fail in sales, brought to you by Memory. One, clog your pipeline. The fuller it is, the fuller you'll feel. Tip two, never use a plan. Predictability, eh, it's just boring. Three, forget the CRM, probably sucks anyway. If you're ready to take control of your sales and make how you sell your competitive advantage, try Membrane for free today at membrane.com. So besides making the wrong person uh, sales manager, is there other common mistakes that you see? Well, I think the uh, not understanding the type of sales environment you're in uh, is a classic one. So you, you go on, you look at the CVs from, from without that sort of perspective and you hire the wrong people for the job. Uh, we also see uh, in well-funded companies that they have now money on, on, in the bank and they go hire like a VP sales from a large, you know, big company, believing that's going to be great for this startup, yeah. which almost always fails because that person has maybe not been in a startup with all the challenges that entails, like, who are you? <laughs> which they probably never heard if they were at IBM. Right. Uh, so no, I th I th that's another thing we see quite a bit. And also being, you know, expecting, if you come from corporate, you, you probably have been a bit spoiled. So you expect to have some services around you, which might not be there yeah. in a startup. Yeah. Here's uh, probably an opinion that will uh, piss some people off, but I'm going to say it anyway. 
I think from my perspective, also being in the, in the sales field for almost 20 years, one of the most common mistakes in this transition, but also a little bit later on, is that the founders, like they're in love with their product. This is their baby. And it, when you're in love with the product, you're also very well versed with the problem that that product handles. You have an insight into how this will actually pan out with the customers and so on. There's quite some customer insights. And when you bring in people, often people spend energy like, you know, these are, these are the sales motions, these are the different stages, this is what the product does and so on. But too many salespeople don't get proper training on the buying motion. They don't understand that I'm speaking to the CRM manager, he probably reports to a revenue ops, that revenue ops maybe reports to a CRO, that CRO needs to convince the CFO. And it's like, there's a lot of motions inside that people don't have an insight unless they get the proper training. And that's why they're not successful. They, they know how to click through the CRM stage one, stage two, stage three. I did the demo, I mean stage three. Yeah. But it doesn't mean anything about like, where are you on the buying side? Where are they? Like, are they also in stage three or are they still in stage one? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's critical. I think that's super that you said that because that, that would, to me, is the, that's complex, complex sales, right? If, if you don't get how that works on the buyer side, and usually the, to be, uh, to go even beyond that, sometimes the buyer don't even know. They don't know how to make a decision always. Right. If, if it's something they buy, you know, every 10 years, it's not like they have a process for how to buy. So it's, it's going to be, you know, dynamic from their end as well. So you almost need to be a coach to the buyer <laughs> as a seller right. to, for them to understand what's going to happen. Right, so it's really interesting. And another thing that I, I see is people get confused on efficiency and effectiveness. So you, you really, people are really, really eager and keen on doing stuff faster. So trying to be very efficient in the hope that that leads to higher results. But if you're not being effective, if you're not doing the right things, you're just doing a lot of things, maybe even wrongly, <laughs> very quickly and that will create problems. Mm. And I think automation is one of those things that people have, you know, you can use automation in a wise way or you can use it in a in an unwise way. And, and in selling, I've seen so much of that, uh, you know, people just spamming their potential customers uh, with some kind of template they got when they bought an automation tool. And uh, I think that also reduces the uh, perception of sellers. I just hate when that happens <laughs> uh, because selling should be noble. Selling is really about helping and, and not just pushing your stuff so you can make a commission check. I think you were saying that the problem was that the salesperson didn't know the product good enough. But then you started about talking about the complex sales and everything. But uh, Yeah, no, I mean, and that might be also the case, but I think most companies do a good job trying to transfer product knowledge to their sales hires and they, they transfer knowledge on their sales process where they tell them like, you know, here's when you get an MQL from marketing or an SQL from SDRs, it ends up here, this is what you need to do, these are the questions you need to ask. Once you've done that, you move it to stage two and when the demo is done, stage three and so on. And I guess that's because you underestimate how different that can be based on what you're selling and what industry you're selling into and, uh, and so on. Yeah, the problem with that is that you're only looking at yourself. Yeah. You're looking at your own process. It does not reflect at all where your customer is. 
Yeah. And and there's um, don't get me wrong, there's people that have implemented this in their CRM. So when you are in stage three, you are in stage three and so is the customer. But then you just need to make sure that you have those validations, whatever is, is expected from the customer. Maybe you need to get to a certain threshold in the hierarchy or get some commitments or whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's one of the biggest challenges. Certainly is. Yeah, I think so too. Product knowledge is usually the first thing. Um, that you learn uh, when when you get onboarded and, and ramped up and uh, and how to communicate the value of that but not so much the buyer perspective so to speak uh, looking at what are they actually trying to do and and how do we because i think there's a lot of things we could do in prospecting that has nothing to do with the product we could reach out to customers and talk about their industry what's going on with their competitors do you know completely and not about the product at all, because that's what they want to improve. They want to become more competitive. They want to know what's going on. So I think you know, with all the uh, data out there now, you can be quite creative in your outreaches um, by not talking about your product. So do you have any tips for people listening to this? Like, you know, how do you manage, like you call it complex sales or enterprise sales? Like, are there any proven methods, templates, models, activities you need to do that will help you get to your end goal? Yes, and we've uh, we've written a, a white paper on uh, the top ten methodologies out there, uh, and and uh, the sales methodologies that we have been taught over the last twenty years <laughs> that you and I have been selling uh, have. A lot of similarities, right? You've heard, uh, I mean, Challenger Sales, Sandler, there are a bunch of methodologies from training companies out there, and they're all good. Uh, there's, you should learn all as a salesperson, uh, and then you need to, as a sales leader, figure out, okay, how do we, what, which one of these uh, is valuable in our sales motion, and how do I embed that into the technology? Because that's really what you need to do. If, if you believe in medic, or whatever methodology you like, how do you embed it so it becomes, you know, just a, a part of your workflows and not just something that you hope people will remember uh, because you sent them to a training course. But there are many out there, I think, I, I can't say this one is better than the other, uh, but you should just look at all of them uh, and figure out which one you want to, right. which ones, I would say, because there's not one that sort of solves everything, of course. Right. Do you have any tactical tips that you're telling your own folks, like guys and girls, let's be mindful of doing ABC with every customer. That's going to, it's proven to help us. I think uh, one thing that I see uh, is problematic is qualification into the pipeline. Uh, so we have to be very clear of, okay, what's our ICP? Which customers are we going after? In which geographies? Uh, and once you have your ICP, that should also be built in to your prospecting. So you, you don't put crap into your pipeline. Uh, and you also need timing in there. So you know that everyone is putting uh, opportunities into the pipeline in the same way and based on the same criteria. Because otherwise, you cannot really measure your KPIs. Because if you're going to be looking at this average sales cycle, and one salesperson just throws stuff in uh, as soon as they found find companies uh, on LinkedIn, and another one waits until they send a contract. You know that 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 would mess everything up. 
so really having a clear definition of your ICP and, and making sure that you have a clear, you know, set of criteria of when you st put stuff into the pipeline and ensure that not marketing uh, is, is disconnected from that. Because I see a lot of uh, companies now that put stuff into their pipelines directly from marketing efforts. So they have MQLs coming in and they call it stage zero of some, or something like that, which can be really confusing uh, when you start analyzing your sales performance data. Yeah. But yeah, and another, I would say you asked for advice, what advice we give internally. And uh, I think one uh, mistake that is easy to make is to just talk to one person, right? You have this person who came in via inbound, they're doing research, and the salesperson just you know goes all in and spends all time with this single person, where you know you have to expand, you have to have more people engaged. But the salesperson, you know, believes when that person said, well, don't worry, I'm going to make the decision by myself. Right. And they move, carry on and sort of drive this opportunity forward with only one person. That, that's, that cannot happen. So you have to have clear definitions on how to do, how to expand and how to engage the different stakeholders. I'm happy you, you, you said that because uh, I come from the world where uh, close plans are really critical. I, I don't know if you, if you believe in close plans or, or mutual success plans, as some people call it, but essentially it's a document where when the time is right, but rather early in a, in a complex sales process, you agree with your buyer or your champion at least. In a normal sales process and buying process, we see these 25 steps, whatever those are. Do you agree? Do we need to move? And then you try to work backwards. If we come, if we're supposed to come to a decision by March 5th, then we need to do these activities. Now, those activities in three weeks and so on. Do you believe in that concept of, of a close plan? I think it's uh, definitely a, a best practice to, to aim for. Uh, it, it can be quite difficult uh, depending on what type of selling you're in and where the customer, what kind of trust you have with that customer. But it's definitely great if you can get to that point with the buyer because then you will be guiding them because they might not have done this type of purchase that often. So for them, for you to share how this process normally works with other customers, I think that's, that's a really good, good practice. And also helps to engage these people that we might not know need to get involved. Right. Because you can then ask these questions like, okay, over here, when, we, when we've done all this work, we might need a legal person or we might need a, an IT person. So who would that be? And, and bring them in early on. I mean, that can really shorten your sales cycle. Exactly. And I think another thing that I've noticed, uh, and that's why I have all this gray hair, you know, I learned it throughout uh, <laughs> all the years. But it's like sometimes uh, sales organizations, uh, they're so focused on their own product and the needs it solves and, and fighting competition. Yeah. But essentially, you are competing for, it's a zero-sum game. There's limited budget in this company but also there's limited resources. Mm -hmm. So sometimes people tend to uh, underestimate, like, you know, in your case, you know, implementing a new CRM is nothing you do overnight. And you need to understand what else is this sales organization, this organization doing in general, or the other transformational project that's going to take a year or half a year, and is that a higher priority? Then it doesn't matter that they love us. Yeah. They just don't have the resources maybe to go through with a motion like this. So you need to understand, like, where are you on the priority list, even if they have the budget. 
And I, I think sometimes people tend to miss to check that because like, yes, I, like great demo, I beat the competition and then you still lose the deal because you're priority number three. Yeah, completely agree. And having that kind of dialogue, uh, you need to be a, have the trust level with the customer and be able to have the business acumen to, to have that discussion, right? How, what other priorities are, are you working on? And it doesn't mean that if you're priority three that it's uh, not going to happen if you can latch on to priority number one. Exactly. Right, because sometimes if the priority one is, uh, is super critical, maybe you can then align your project with priority one and make it more prioritized. Makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I fully agree. I mean, that it's a typical, you know, why didn't... I mean, I think like something uh, like 66% of deals that don't close is not to the competition. It's the status quo. We don't do anything. We didn't buy the competitor. We just continue doing whatever we did because we found other priorities to focus on. So what are your priorities moving forward? What What is in the future for Membrane? Yeah, we... Uh, we just hired a new uh, chief uh, revenue uh, officer in the U.S. Okay. So that's exciting for us. Uh, Paul is going to head up uh, that for us. Uh, and uh, we're continuing our partner-led uh, go-to-market. So we're going to find more partners to um, help us grow customers, joint customers, revenue and growth. And... Uh, as you know, in, in companies, everything needs to be improved all the time. So <laughs> we we also need to uh, become a lot better on marketing uh, because this is a very competitive market. Uh, we need to get out there and get people to, to find us. We are also working on what we call additions, which uh, kind of back to your question, where some sales trainers and sales development experts who have a methodology can put that and embed it into Membrane. And then they have a productized version of their work to bring to market. Nice. Okay. Uh, so that's uh, also interesting. And we're going to do that, you know, for for the different workflows. So you have a prospecting edition. Uh, you have an opportunity management edition and account planning one. And uh, hopefully also customer success because we're seeing a lot of our customers now are really using the account growth module uh, for their CS teams. So that's exciting as well. Uh, so you mentioned you already have a CRO, so you're not looking for that anymore. You want to strengthen up marketing, but is there anything else that you're looking for for the moment? Yeah, we want to get into the UK. So we're looking for a salesperson who uh, either is in the UK or is from the UK and living in either US or Sweden. Okay, cool. Uh, so that's going to be interesting. And uh, is there anyone that you would like to see on the show? Anyone that you think we should interview? Hmm. Yes, I, uh, as a sales nerd, uh, have a few <laughs> uh, thought leaders out there. <laughs> Ooh, drum roll, drum roll. <laughs> and, and there are lots of really, really good, uh, good uh, sales leaders and, and, and authors. But I have uh, one of my favorites is uh, Mike Weinberg. Uh, he has written a few books and he, he says it as it is. Uh, okay which is uh, something that I really like. And he also has a podcast that is quite good, but uh, focused on the complex B2B uh, sale, really also honing in on the sales leaders, which I think is where you have so much leverage in most companies. If you can help your managers and sales leaders be better, your entire team and company will get better. 
So Daniel, do you know this guy or? Uh, not from the top of my head here, no. Okay. So then we we might uh, reach out to you, George, who maybe can send us some material and and point us to his podcast so we can see what, what it's all about. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. But again, George, thank you for chatting with us. Interesting to hear more about the membrane and how you've gone from founder-led sales to a scalable sales organization. And uh, yeah, you got to talk some uh, sales stuff in the end there in between sales leaders. So I think everyone is happy. And uh, see you soon again, George. Thank you. See you soon. Thank you. Take care now. Right, Daniel, this was uh, right up your alley, but what, what was your uh, main takeaway from, from the episode today? Yeah, this, this really got me excited. I love uh, speaking to, to other sales folks and, and sales leaders and so on. And I, I really enjoyed uh, George here that he confirmed the fact that when you hire on your first salespeople, don't expect them to create the playbook. The playbook needs to be there, then they just need to move on it. So they're saying they can, you know, revise it and touch up on it but you need to have that initial playbook ready and that's a common mistake that a lot of people do like they expect that oh somebody's going to come in here they're going to solve everything for me that it doesn't work that way nobody knows the market the product the way you do you need to have a foundational playbook so that's that's my takeaway what about you thomas i think it's about you know understanding that you can't just sell to one person you need to map out what it looks like and make sure that you can talk to to anyone or enable your salespeople to be able to have a conversation with perhaps uh, a technician or, or someone else in the company and to give them a support system that allows them to do that. Good, good. Yes, I agree with that. That, that, is, that is very important. And looking at some of the other things we, we have ahead of us here, now we are ramping up the CEO network and the executive network. There's a lot of things happening, but there's still some time to sign up, right? Absolutely. So you can just head over to sasnordic.com if you're interested in uh, being member in these exclusive networks you will meet peers in, in smaller cohorts and share information and um, experiences and um, well stay close we will see you soon again and thank you for listening